episode 26 of Outlander Cast is brought to you by the Tag You're It Etsy shop. From Outlander-inspired necklaces and rings to custom designs for birthdays or any occasion, every piece is created by Dawn, one letter at a time, and is one of a kind. Please take the time to visit Dawn at www.tagyourit.biz, that's B-I-Z. Tell her Mary and Blake sent you, and use the coupon code OUTLANDERCAST15 for 15% off your purchase. As always, tag your mama, tag your pet, tag your it, whatever it is. People disappear all the time. Most are found, eventually. Disappearances, after all, have explanations. Usually. Cast with Mary and Blake. It's a podcast dedicated to the show Outlander on Stars. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Outlander Cast. I'm your host, Mary Larson. My name's Blake. And I still can't believe that Jamie just all of a sudden decided, Yeah, Claire, no problem. You're from the future. Well, whatever. No problem. True love, man. True love makes you do crazy things. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. if you told me you were from, like, Star Trek TNG time, I'd be like, girl, have you had your medication today? Has the pregnancy made you that crazy that we're we're talking about starships? It would be the opposite, that you would love me so much that you would sit there and say, tell me all about the future. (laughs) Tell me about what airplanes are like. Have you seen an elephant before? (laughs) (laughs) The answer is yes. Actually, yes, it is. The reason why we bring all this up is today because we are bringing on Mike Barker. And Mike Barker is indeed the director of not only the, The Devil's Mark, but... Lally Brock as well. We thought it would be great to have him on as a great resource to discuss what I would argue, I think, is the most pivotal part in the entire Outlander series. And my darling, do you know what I'm referring to? I hope you're meaning just the first book because you have no idea about the rest of the series. No, no. And in fact, so far, I would argue that it's probably the most pivotal point in all of Outlander. Why? Because it changes the entire fabric of the entire story. What is this it? It is Claire revealing to Jamie that she is from the future. Boom. And you, you, I don't think you can come up. I challenge anybody, any of our listeners to say a more important event in Outlander. Maybe, I, I, maybe Claire going back. Uh, that's possible. Oh, I challenged you. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, this is an incredibly pivotal part. Pivotal part. It allows her to be honest with Jamie and he with her. And she's now able to share exciting things like airplanes and seeing an elephant. Yes, those are exciting. But obviously, Claire has a lot more knowledge about other things that are pretty significant in history. And there was also some other great things about, too, uh, about Lallybrock that we wanted to get into. I felt like Lallybrock was almost l- overlooked. 
after the Devil's Mark. It was. Um, I, I felt like it, it was too easy. People, it was too easy after the Devil's Mark. Yeah, it's kind of like the Super Bowl hangover. You know, it's like when you win the Super Bowl, like the next year, your team kind of sucks because you just won the Super Bowl the previous year. Yeah, yeah. The but, same but thing. But this episode didn't. No, no, this episode didn't suck. But I'm. It just. I just felt like it was overlooked, okay. and it, it, it felt like. Oh my God, the Devil's Mark, and uh, it's so great. And then, oh, Lally Brock, but oh my God, the Devil's Mark. Oh, but Lally Brock. Oh, you know, and and uh, what I wanted to do was I wanted to speak to uh, Mike Barker about Lally Brock, and in fact, what it was like to capture Jamie's daddy issues. I feel like this is a much more important part, part of the story than I I think show watchers are probably uh, more aware of. And and we we asked him about that. And as a matter of fact, why don't we just do this? Why don't we just have him on and and <laughs> let's just get to the most important part of this entire show? What do you say, kid? Awesome, sounds like a plan. All right, let's do it. Joining us today is Mike Barker, an accomplished and talented director whose most notable works include the film To Kill a King and TV series like Moby Dick, Silent Witness, Rogue, Broadchurch, and The Tunnel. But we all know him as the director of Outlander's recent episodes, The Devil's Mark and Lollybrock. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you start off by telling us how you got the job with Outlander? Um, well, originally they phoned me um, actually quite a long time ago. I think almost a year and a half ago, I think it was. And uh, they asked me to do well, some of the earlier episodes, but I wasn't available. I was, I was making Broadchurch. Um, so I thought I'd lost my opportunity of working on it. And then they, then I saw The Devil's Mark was coming up, and I thought, ooh. So um, I thought I might ask them if it was around. And um, and they asked me to do it. It was very simple. There's a producer here in the, in the UK called David Brown, who's a very good producer, who runs the production here, and he, he sort of approached me and uh, made it all happen. One of the most fascinating things I find is there's a lot of different directors that are working on this show. Um, what do you have to do to make sure that you stay consistent with like the Outlander look and direction? And like, is, there, is there really a look and a direction that Ronald Moore has set? Like, is there a format uh, you know, for the writers and directors? Um, I think that... The reason for having different directors, I think, is one, it's just general stamina that to run a whole show and to direct these shows, which are really, really tough and in Scotland very, very wet and very, very muddy most of the time, you need to have a sort of new injection of sort of energy and just basically just reinvent, you know, a new set of eyes to come in and sort of keep it alive and fresh. And also just keep the cast excited. So, I mean, what I did was I looked at what had been shot before me. Um, you, you, you're obviously reacting to the script primarily, and and what you what you read on the page. But but what Ron's done is he set up a sort of a very firm and sort of uh, sort of team of wardrobe, for example, is very very strong. And um, they've got Gary Steele there with the sets. And so basically, I come in with my DP and my first assistant director, and we sort of we take on board what they've got, and then try basically to do something slightly different, move it on, move it slightly more exciting, make it slightly more exciting, and, and bring something fresh to it. You know, bring a new fresh pair of eyes. But yeah, I mean, I think there are constants throughout, but I think it always evolves as a new director comes on board. Awesome. So now being the director, of course, you get to work with these actors and pull out different things, different methods or different tools. So what are some of the ways that you were able to 
pull different things from the cast. It's, you know, it's quite interesting doing a show like this because basically the cast are there for a very, very long time. I mean, by the end of this series, they'll be there for seven years. So they know their characters better, pretty much better than anybody else. Um, and I, and I, I guess what the real thing is, is about making sure that they don't become too familiar with it and that, that, that you know, you ask provocative questions. It's not so much about telling them on a show like this about what they've got to do. It's more about making suggestions that might make it a bit more sparky, might make it a bit more interesting, and to ask questions of themselves, the characters, and also what the point of the line is. Um, again, when you're working that fast, sometimes, you know, there's so much dialogue in a show like this that, you know, that it's a huge task just remembering it. Um, actually making it believable and heartfelt and genuine is, is, is really what my real job is, is to make sure that I believe everything that comes out of their mouths. And, and that's, uh, you know, before you see it, because sometimes you don't. And when you don't, it never works on the, in the final film. So that, that's really what it's about. So, so, you know, there's lots of different ways from lying and cheating and cajoling and bribery to just uh, making a really good argument to make it work. There's lots of different techniques to mess things up. <laughs> is, is there a particular example from either of the episodes that stood out to you that you were able to do that and you were able to work in a different way with an actor or actress by telling, talking with them? Well, I think, you know, I think one of the hardest and one of the biggest moments for, for Kat was, was the truth when she sat down on that log and said, you know, who she was for the first time. And I think, you know, she thought about it for a long time and, you know, and she wondered how she was going to do it. And it's just such a huge moment to tell a guy that you're from a different time and, you know, and for him to believe it because it's such a ridiculous thing in itself that um, it's such a ridiculous thing in itself that actually, you know, how do you make something that is potentially that ridiculous truly believable to someone who you love? And so, you know, we talked so much about that scene and we went round it we tried it different ways it got very upsetting it got quite you know we, we did so many different sort of versions and, and sort of to sort of investigate every line and every um, avenue of that, of that speech because it was such a tough one for her and uh, I mean she, she did brilliantly she did a really really good job and she worked so hard to get to the bottom of it you know speaking you of know, that you had a lot of responsibility in, in this episode for The Devil's Mark in particular. What, what you shot literally changes the fabric of the show between Galus admitting that she was from the future and indeed Claire's confession. Is there anything else that you did uh, as a director uh, to prepare for, the, for this episode? Um, well, the thing is, there was a huge part of ignorance on my, because I hadn't heard about that before I started it. It was only when I, they sent me a book and I read the first book. Um, so I read the first book, so I had a sort of pretty good sense, but I was still reading it when I was sort of up in Scotland prepping the show. So as I was getting addicted to the book myself, um, I was already out there prepping and not really truly understanding the significance of some of the moments because I hadn't reached some of them. So, but I think that was a huge advantage, actually, because it's all about believability and it's all about making, you know, and, and because this is essentially science fiction and there is, you know, there's some very extraordinary things happen in it. So, in, in a funny way, the, the idea of coming at it from a point of ignorance was actually really helpful because it really made me think about how to get those, those beats across in a way that people who haven't read the books and don't know the stories can sort of fall into those moments and really take them on board. You know, for example, walking towards the stone and the buzzing and traveling back through the stones. You know, they're quite sort of extraordinary ideas, you know, from the, from the novel. And it, it was really about sort of rooting it in a sense of honesty, um, and I think that's probably what you bring to it as a director. 
you know, with that in mind, Outlander is a very broad show. It has a lot of different aspects to it, the sci-fi, the love, the historical nature of it. But what I love what you did was you took that and you essentially made that a courtroom drama. Uh, what was that like? That What was making it, turning it into something completely different? And then also the scene and the set. What was all that like? Well, what was interesting about the courtroom was because, I mean, I mean, the, 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 the courtroom started quite a bit earlier. I mean, what was interesting about the courtroom was I was determined to have Gellis carried away off out of the box the way she was, um, above the heads. And Ron and everybody were really worried that it might end up being like a sort of pop concert, sort of crowd body, body surfing type thing, and was worried that I was going to undermine that moment. But I had a really sort of clear idea about how that would work. So that was that was a huge, big talking point, that, that, that very one thing. The other thing about it that I really, really wanted to do is I wanted the court to feel really alive. And I wanted it to feel... I did quite, I've done quite a lot of historical work before, never anything quite as broad as this, but I've done quite a bit of period um, filming before. So I know my history, and I did a bit of reading about the witch trials and how they work. And also I had um, Tony Graffia was the writer for that episode, and she had also done a lot of research. So we sat down and we talked about it. We knew that we wanted to be very alive and we wanted the courtroom to be full on. And so, for example, normally when you film those sort of scenes, you ask the extras or the supporting artists, as we call them here, to, um, to be quiet so the actors can act. I made those actors act over screaming and shouting all the way through. So Katrina and, and um, Lottie were literally screaming at each other all the way through that. The judges were screaming, Bill Patterson was screaming, everyone was working at such a pitch um, in order to create that atmosphere and to create that, create that sense because it's very difficult to, to act loud when everything around you is quiet. So I just made a few problems for the sound team and the actors, but I think it worked in the end. I think it did. Oh, well, those <laughs> sound workers had to work. <laughs> <laughs> and as loud as it was, and as loud as it could be, you also had these brilliant moments of silence, uh, in particular uh, in, in some of the confessions or in some of the testimony of um, the the uh, the witnesses. In particular, I really, really loved uh, the flashback of the mom talking about the changeling baby. Uh, and you used this really hyper realized coloring, uh, especially in the mother's eyes. Um, was this done intentionally to capture something like her anger? And was it your choice, this, this hyper-realized co- coloring? That actually, if I'm honest, was not... It was done in post, and it was done after I'd left the... Pro- they, they, I mean, we, we knew it was going to happen, it was discussed, but actually the actual specifics of the color were, I never saw until after it was done. Um, I mean, we shot it with that in mind, and we planned it with that in mind, but the post is done in America. And, of course, um, I was left behind in the UK um, already on another job by the time that happened. But it was, um, but she, the actress, was fantastic. And so, you know, we shot it very much like a wave. Um, you know, so we shot very high, looking straight down across her forehead. So she was looking up. Um, and, and so she felt very, you know, she felt like a real victim. Because, actually, because there's so much sympathy lying with, um, Kat's, with, with Katrina's character... We suddenly had to turn, I suddenly had to get a real sense of that. Because um, again, it's a kind of a, a strange notion that you, you, know, you would leave your child underneath and the fairies would come and sort it all out. And, but I, but I, I had to create a sense that this was for real. And it was only Katrina who thought this was ridiculous in the room. And everybody else there thought, oh my God, she didn't do that. She really touched a baby under the, wood, in, under the tree. And I think, you know... It was it was that idea of trying to create that, which is why we you know we, we used the flashback, but also 
um, why I shot it that way and made her feel particularly small and insignificant and less threatening to Katrina than... Uh, what I liked about her, when the priest comes in, he's obviously, a, he's going to become a threat. When, when, the, when, when the mother's there, you don't imagine that it's going to be much of a threat. And I, I really wanted to make her much more threatening through her naivety and her innocence and her weakness. You mentioned Father Bain and his truthful confession of failure. Was this an elaborate scheme of reverse psychology? You know, how did you want to capture this ambiguity? Yes, it is. I mean, Tim. I mean, Tim. Such a, Tim's a great actor. He's such a good actor. And you know, the thing about Father Bain is it's a really difficult sort of line because you know you want a certain amount of theatricality to it, but you know you go too far and then you stop to believe again. And Tim, I think, treads a really great line. And um, I, I, even thinking about it, it's brought a smile to my face. You know, I think that he was, it, I mean, yes, he was. It was a, absolutely a tactic to sink her. And, um, and which, you know, which works, you know, you know which works in, in, in the sense that they were found guilty. So, um, yes, it was. He was being, you know, he was looking charitable whilst absolutely being Machiavellian and... Um, Dangerous. He has this great little smirk, uh, and it's it's almost a half a smirk. It, was that scripted, or was that something that he just did on his own? That's something we talked about. I mean, basically that that whole that sequence because we shot in the, that was all you know we shot it. It took me four days I think to shoot that whole sequence, and um, so basically what we did was I went down there. First of all, me and Tony um, acted out all of the roles, just the two of us in the church on our own. And so I staged it and worked out how it was going to work. And then I brought some of the actors down and we blocked it all the way through. And what was great about that was it gave us all a chance to think about it, talk about it, and actually get it right rather than it all sort of... Because what I was frightened about with that many people in one room, um, that the communication on the day would be almost zero. It was just we had to know what we were doing each as we, as we, as we did the day. And so we actually had plenty of opportunity on that particular sequence to talk it through. I mean, all of the stuff the actors do, they bring to it, obviously. I mean, all I ever do is, is help, you know, help put them in the right place or the right frame of mind or, you know, suggest some ideas. They're, they're the guys that do it. I mean, you know, and, and uh, I wouldn't take anything away from them, that's for sure. We get to this point eventually where Claire has to speak to Jamie about the truth and, and she has to confess to him that she is indeed from the future. This entire scene was absolutely beautiful. But well, you know what's really funny about that scene? Sorry, what's really funny about that scene is that I mean, for me personally, that was the most difficult scene in the whole film. I mean, all of the the the, the scale and the difficulty of, of the trial and all of those big action sequences that we shot, you know, in a way, were much, much, much more simple than than the two of them sitting on that log and us having to get across possibly the, one of the most important, if not the most important. Uh, moment in a series of books and I mean just so you know that if you get a sense of context that beautiful idyllic wood that we were um, in is actually in the centre of Glasgow I mean it's like literally on the side of a motorway so you can literally hear lorries going vroom, vroom, <laughs> round the and it's right, it's right near the, the, it's right near the studio uh, but we cleaned it up and we put some moss down there we put those logs there we made all those logs really beautiful and um and then basically we spent a very exhausting, and I say exhausting, and it wasn't really exhausting for me, it was really exhausting for Katrina because she, first of all, had a lot to say, but also she knew that the whole 
you know, the whole believability of her character rested in that moment. And I think, you know, it was a really, really tough day for her. I, you know, my heart was out with her all the time because she wanted it to be so perfect. And, you know, we did it over and over and over again. And, you know, we tried to make it as intimate and as personal as we could. And I, I think, I mean, I, I was really pleased with what she did and what Sam did at that. I, I was really proud of that scene, actually. We had this really beautiful shot of Claire's rings uh, as she's making her choice to go to uh, the the rocks. Um, it, you know, Frank's ring is smooth and she can see her reflection in it. Jamie's ring is coarse and unseemly. Is this something that you really, this dichotomy, is this something you really wanted to capture? I tell you what it was, was that, in fact, I heard Ron talking about this at a later date, actually, was that, um, in fact, do you know, again, that moment that you're talking about right now um, with the rings, uh, the, the, those rings were actually shot at the same time that we did that scene that you just talked about on the logs. So the close-ups, because we didn't have very much time up in the Highlands, I shot all those close-ups in front of a, a stone down in the same place where we shot the girls, the guys on the log, um, confessing who she really was. It actually wasn't planned at all. What it was was I saw the two rings. I saw the two rings and I thought, what a great way to get inside her head, to get inside Claire's head, and to, to really understand what her dilemma is. And... So, it, you know, I mean, the, 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 the rough and the smooth is very much a design thing. That was a costume thing and a, and a design thing. I just happened to see them sitting there. It wasn't scripted. I just happened to see them together. And I thought, oh, my God, this is the way into her mind. And to really truly know what she's thinking without having to overrate the pudding too much. And, um, and because, again, because Kat's so good, you know, all she needs to do is look down at those two rings. And it was so clear that she had a huge dilemma and, you know, and what would it be? What would be the outcome? So it just, it really helps on that front. So speaking about what Claire's thinking, you kept Claire's point of view as she walked up to the stones. You know, as you just said, we were able to get inside her mind by looking at the rings and seeing things from what she was thinking about. But when she actually walked to the stones, it was from Claire's point of view. So why did you choose to make it that way? Very specifically because um, obviously she's not going to travel through the stones in that moment. And, um, you know, there's a very, you know, I, and, and we did film it both ways. We had, we had both options. But I think the reason that when I, when I put it together in the cut, the reason we left it like that was because you, you get a sense of her indecision as she's approaching the stone. And actually, we didn't want to, we didn't want to give the audience that impression. We wanted the audience to think maybe she's gone. Maybe she's gone through those stones. Maybe she's chosen Frank over, 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 um, Jamie. So, um, so that was that was the principal reason. So, getting to this point, we now have her choose Jamie, and she they decide to go to to Lallybrock. Um, now, I thought the most creative thing that the show had done were the flashbacks that you guys had done with with Blackjack Randall and Jenny, um, especially that coloring. Was the, is this the same exact um, thing that happens in post uh, with the flashbacks, like the the highlights of the red? Is that something that you had input on? Um, we, the, 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 all those flashbacks, I shot all those flashbacks I and mean, I filmed them all. And, you know, in terms of, the, there was always going to be a separation of, of, of how they worked. I mean, primarily because it just helps the audience be less confused. I mean, it's just a simple, you know, it's just a very simple way of doing it. Uh, and sometimes doing sound as well. We use sound as well for the same effect. And in fact, we used it in the courtroom. I don't know if you remember, there was a moment where 
um, they would where the, the the moment where she says you're from when when Gellis realizes that they're both but they both realize they're from a different time. You know, we slowed down the camera to just make them you know sweep those little moments down for the mark on her arm, things like that. They're just they're really just sort of very simple techniques in order to to make sure that things aren't lost to the audience. Important details aren't lost to the audience. So in the Lollybrock episode. Laura, Donnelly, and Sam actually knew each other from beforehand, not just when they met on set. So I wanted to know what that was like for you as a director to work with these two people who have already known each other beforehand, but then needed to portray a brother-sister relationship. Laddiebrook was quite a tricky one because Laddiebrook was a, you know, after doing, because uh, obviously we're shooting that, we, we shoot the episodes at the same time. So they're all intermingled together when we're shooting them. You know, we don't shoot one and then move on to the next. They're all completely intermingled. And because Devil's Mark was such a sort of bombastic and sort of, you know, it's quite an aggressive episode. There's so much going on and so much being revealed. Laddiebrook was really just a, you know, a fairly simple road movie heading back to, to the house. And, I mean, I'm actually very fond of the Lenny Brook episode because, because, because it sort of crept up on us. It sort of, it sort of really crept up on us, you know, as, as we were making it because we were so concentrated on the Devil's Mark. Um, those guys, all of the actors, I mean, all of the actors, I mean, I love working with actors full stop. I mean, you know, for me, that's, you know, the biggest reason for doing it. Um, that, I mean, it's, it, for me, that's the most exciting thing. So, I mean, there's not very often I come across an actor except possibly William Hurt, who I can't bear. <laughs> Otherwise, anyway, so yes, yeah, so, so working with those two actors was great. They were really lovely. Um, L- Laura is unbelievable. She's such a fantastic, she's so good. I mean, she's so, so good and so exciting to watch. It's a real pleasure. I couldn't tell you how much fun it is to watch her act. And she's so game and professional. And, uh, you know, because she, she, got, she got a lot of knocking around as well in those episodes. <laughs> Um, you, you talked about how you really liked Lally Brock, and, and actually I liked Lally Brock a lot too, uh, specifically because this was Jamie's, in my opinion, journey. It was his journey into his father's shadow, finding out who he is. What I want to know in what you think is how deep does Jamie's daddy issues really go? I think it goes, uh, it runs pretty deep. I think there's, but I think, you know, I think that, um, I think that Claire's probably there to, to, to bring him back bring it back and make it more sensible. I thought what was interesting about the Lallybrook episode was actually seeing the power go to his head and actually to become not quite as cool as we've all been used to him in terms of the way that he runs his state, the way that he sort of, he sort of run roughshod over his sister uh, and the farm. And, you know, potentially, um, you know, and he, I mean, even though they're acts of generosity and all for the right reasons, they were naive and stupid and, you know, as, as Jenny pointed out, you know, undermined the future of the whole state um, you know but at least he was man enough to face up to it and I, I thought that was quite interesting because you know Jamie's sort of Jamie's character was very much shaping up to be you know a really you know sort of all you know all round good guy and actually I think it was quite interesting that they they allowed him to have some of those flaws I, I, I totally agree with you because you know as just a regular guy J- Jamie to me just seems perfect you can't you can't live up to Jamie Fraser, and uh, to see him actually fail a little bit, uh, it, it really made him uh, a layered character. Finally, I mean, up until this point, I felt like he was just kind of a, a myth almost. Um, and, and and talking about his guilt about his father, thinking that he essentially killed him, um, is that something that you wanted really wanted to capture? I mean, it was, you know, it was all there in the script. I mean, it was all there in the script. And, you know, um, 
again, I had Tony with me on that one, and um, the script, the original script for Lady Brooke was written by um, Anne Kenny. But um, as, as we sort of evolved during the course of that shooting, um, you know, quite a lot changed as we sort of focused on those, those details. And actually, do you know what was quite interesting on those, those storylines was the actors themselves, you know, were very keen to express um, their own feelings uh, about how their characters should feel and go. And, and I think they're, all, they're quite keen as well to have some of that sort of rough diamonds you know, elements about it that, you know, that they don't want to be seen as completely, you know, perfect and uh, better than, better than thou, that, they, that there are some flaws and some imperfections that they're just, you know, human. And I think, you know, you know, and I think Ron and um, Tony and Anne and myself, we all, we all had those conversations with the actors. I mean, at the beginning of every episode, what happens is, is you have a read through and, you know, it's quite interesting just reading in the room, everyone's sitting there around drinking Diet Coke and no one's in costume and it's quite interesting because you know you know straight away at the end of that read-through if it's going to work and Ron, this is where Ron is the, is the powerhouse because what he does he sits there and he goes okay everybody in my room and then everyone will trot off and sort of you know and he's you can see him scribbling during the course of the read-through and that's really where the episode is defined and um, Lally Brook was a big one for that we had the read-through and it didn't have the same sort of sense of excitement as, 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 you know, as some of the others and um, Anne and um, the characters. And, you know, and these things are constantly evolving because what happens in front of an episode changes. And so you, know, you might have a script that was written three months ago that now bears no, um, you know, that has to, needs to evolve because the episode before it has changed. So it's really interesting. It's a really organic process uh, working. And this is mainly American TV. I mean, it's not really how it works here, but I really enjoy doing it, I have to say. Speaking of planning out the episode, you took a chance with showing male frontal nudity. Was this necessary for Black Jack Randall's character? I think what the idea—I mean, the whole—I mean, I mean, it was it, the great thing about that was that I was the one who had to go and ask him to do it, which is like, you know, would you mind getting your winky out <laughs> <laughs> on camera? You know, so I mean, basically, I think what the feeling was about that was that. Um, was that the show is full of women nudity and, you know, we treat women's breasts as if, you know, they're the same as men's um, having their top off. And actually, you know, you know it's, it's still, you know, it's still, a, you know, personal and, a, you know, and, a, and it, you know, we use it as a, as a way of, you know, violate, using violation. And, you know, and we were talking about, Tony and I were at dinner one evening in, uh, in Glasgow and we were talking about, you know, sexuality and violence in film and TV and just all those sort of issues that we have to think about and deal with all the time and, you know, and pushing boundaries and should we push them or should we not push them. And actually what we came up to was that it was completely unfair that we expect actresses to take their kit off the whole time and bear, you know, and you're talking about, you know, talking about Jenny and, and, and Laura, all of those girls have got their kit off at some point. And Lottie in my episode, you know, um, um, Claire has. I mean, they all they all do. And I think we just thought, you know what, this is about time. The story point is about a man who's about, who can't rape a girl because he's got um, a flaccid. Uh, I don't know quite what you call them in America. I was going to say cock, but I'm not quite sure if I'm allowed to. Yeah, you are. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. So um, it seems a bit mean on 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 uh, Tobias to call it a winky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because it's not, I can assure you. We, we've been calling it Little Jack Randall. <laughs> Trust me, it's not that little. No. <laughs> and, and, uh, anyway, so um, so basically, what the idea was was that you know it was it was that conversation. We had the conversation with Tobias, and 
He's, you know, he was really, he was game and he was up for it. And more importantly, it wasn't just a gratuitous thing. It was about storytelling. It was about a man who actually couldn't get an erection. And the reason he couldn't get an erection was because she was, she was not doing what he would expect her to do, which is that he uses his force in order to get what he wants. And that's what excites him. And her response to his force didn't excite him. And I think that was quite important. It was, so it's actually quite an important plot point as well. What I want to know is, do, do you have another um, funny story or something that would something that like you you haven't said anything about uh, on set that you experienced uh, that you'd like to tell our listeners? Uh, well, I can tell another penis story. Oh, we we love penis stories. <laughs> we I would also accept knob as an acceptable uh, <laughs> uh, name for penis too. Okay, well, there was, a, there was a very, there was quite, there, I mean, this was funny for me and for the cast and for Katrina. It wasn't so funny for poor old Sam Ewan. So do you know, remember the scene where he's hiding underneath the big water wheel? Oh, is this the scene where every woman's panties dropped on the entire planet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That is that scene that, although they might not drop when they hear this story. <laughs> so, so, so basically, uh, we shot that in winter. I mean, we had a particularly sunny day, but it was actually freezing cold. And, and, and basically, when, when we got to the stream, the stream wasn't, uh, it, was too, it was too shallow. So basically, I asked them to dam that stream. So the stream um, was filled up with water, so that there was enough water for him to go under. And so, poor old Sam, he had what we call in the business a cocksock, uh, sort of, you know, sort of a rather sort of, rather sort of um, cucumber-like cocksock. And um, so that he sort of strode into the water for, very proudly. But so he was in the water for about a minute and a half, and all I can tell you is when he went down, the only thing that floated up was his cocks off. <laughs> <laughs> and it floated off down the stream. <laughs> and, I, and poor old son had to do maybe 15 takes before, before he, we sent him a towel, but there's nothing he could do about it. <laughs> oh, my God, that's great. Well, I always get to I always get to ask the last question, and it's it's the most important question I'm going to ask or I've ever asked. Oh my god! Are you ready? Yeah. Are you Team Frank or Team Jamie? Ooh, Team Frank or Team Jamie? I think I must prefer the world of Jamie, so I think I'm probably Team Jamie. Actually. Nice job, Mike. Nice job. <laughs> Because I'm I'm a widespread Frank uh, supporter, and everybody I've asked this question to said they're Team Jamie. I think it's because Blake's worried that one day I'm going to go to Scotland and get swept off my feet by some dashing redhead. <laughs> but I tell you, if you've got Sam in the room, it's definitely a danger. He's a very good-looking boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Married, married men across the world stand no chance no, against Sam Hewen. No, they don't. It's, it's just not fair. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Mike. This was an absolute delight. And thank you for, of course, putting up with the uh, the Skype difficulties. And I am so excited for you and your next project. I know, as you said, you're working really, really hard on it. For our viewers, I mean, not our viewers, our listeners, I hope they don't view us because I don't even brush my hair for this. <laughs> um, <laughs> where can they find you and find more about you? Uh, where can they find more about me? I guess um, on IMDb is the best place to start, I guess. Perfect. I like yeah. that. And you were saying that you were working on the tunnel. Is there anything else that you're working on that you'd like our listeners to know about? Um, well, I think you get Broadchurch over there, do you? 
Yes, we do. It's on Netflix. Uh, And uh, there's also the American version of that show, too. What was the name of it? Grace Point. Grace Point, yes. No, I didn't work on Grace Point. I just did did the finale of the the last last series here in uh, the UK. And then I'm doing the tunnel now. And then I'm off to Cuba, I hope, to do a show out there. Oh, nice. Ooh, well, work on your tan. (laughs) Well, thank you so much once again, Mike. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Wow. What an awesome guy. And he was, he's really been so busy, which I am so thankful that he took the time to talk with us. As you guys might have noticed, the audio quality was a little difficult. He was actually in a production house and there were moments when we would lose actually hearing each other because he would say that they were uploading massive amounts of film. Mm Mm-hmm you know, virtually over over the internet wires and it would soak up all of the, all the brand internet bandwidth. bandwidth. Exactly. <laughs> but he really, he he just, he took the time. He's been super busy and he took the time to talk with us and tell us those great stories. Yeah, it was great. He was like, yeah, I have about a half hour in between two meetings that I need to get to and we're developing an entire series called The Tunnel. And uh, so you guys have a half hour of my time. And actually, because of some of the difficulties, we went a little bit over, but I was just so thankful uh, for Mike to take the time and speak to us about that. And uh, oh, how about he's a funny dude? He is so funny. T- talking about talking about the cock sock with Sam. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! You know what? There were some images that went around of Sam prior to the episode being released of him covering his man bits and he didn't always look very happy and you knew it was cold Mm -hmm. but now you know why you really know why because he was probably like guys this isn't in my contract (laughs) guys i was supposed to have a cock sock what the heck (laughs) i am not tobias I, okay. I have a winky. Yeah, oh no. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think he's got a winky. I, I think he's. I think he's a well endowed man. Probably. I don't even know what a winky would be. <laughs> I don't use that word. <laughs> well, nonetheless, we had an absolute blast talking with Mike, and we're just so incredibly thankful to him. And I hope that you guys too found this information useful. So, if you did, you should reach out to him and just say, "Hey, I loved what you said." <laughs> All right, my love. Want to close this bad boy out? Yes. Let's get her done. Okay. Well, everybody, as a reminder, episode 26, this one you just listened to, the the interview with Mike Barker, is brought to you by the tag You're It Etsy shop. From Outlander-inspired necklaces and rings to custom designs for birthdays or any occasion, really. Every piece is created by Dawn, one letter at a time, and is indeed one of a kind. So please take the time to visit Dawn at www.tagyourit.biz. That is indeed B-I-Z. Tell her Miriam Blake sent you. And use the coupon code OutlanderCast15, all one word, OutlanderCast15, for 15% off your purchase. And my darling, as always... Tag your mama, tag your pit, tag your it. That a girl. Whatever it is. I like that. You know, there's this one string in this instrumental piece that is a little out of tune. Is it really? Yeah, I just heard it while you were talking. You're such an elitist. (laughs)
<laughs> it's one of the lower strings that's driving me a little crazy. This is like a professional recording. I know, and I might have to re-record this. Uh, by yourself? By myself. You can play the harp. I know. I have a harp, I know. <laughs> I think this, every time I have to listen to that one string where I'm like, ooh, you're slightly out of tune. Next episode, you're going to have to point it out for us. I'll be like, that one. That's, that's it, one right there. there. <laughs> well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to Outlander Cast. As always, you can find out more about our show. You can find all of our social media handles you can email us you can get to our voicemail you name it anything you want to know about outlandercast is at outlandercast.com and if you want to reach out twitter facebook instagram pretty much all of our handles are outlandercast so you can easily find us that includes our email and that is outlandercast at gmail.com well my love i think that's it Thank you all so much for taking the time to listen to our interview with Mike Barker. I'm Mary Larson. My name's Blake. And you've been listening to Outlander Cast. That was it. (laughs) That note. That's it? That's one of them, at least. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little out of tune. All right. Bye.